Let's welcome up Sai, who's going to start our new series on Corinthians. Thank you, Sai. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's great to be here. Great to be speaking with you this morning. I uh, hope you're well. It's great to join in the day of prayer for those of you who did on Friday for our nation, which was a uh, you know, real privilege to be praying, God, break in at this time when, sadly, the death toll is so heartbreaking as it is at the moment. Thankfully, infections seem to be uh, dropping quite significantly now, so that's good. Good news, a vaccine is uh, here in Helsham and is being rolled out even this weekend as well. So that's, that's good news as well. We can praise God for that. So today, we begin our series on 1 and 2 Corinthians. And we're going to spend a year in this series with a few little breaks here and there. But we're going to, we've called this series Holy Living in Sin City. And uh, uh, as the letter to the Corinthians very much address how we as Christians are called to live holy lives in a sin-filled world. Now, the word sin is often these days more associated with Weight Watchers than it is with what the Bible says and with high-calorie foods. But actually, the word sin is just a, a simple archery term that was used in the olden days. And Josiah's just going to come and demonstrate this for us. That's why this bow and arrow is here. My mum and dad bought this for, for him for a birthday present. You just fire at the target there, Josiah, a few times. That's fine. And they, uh, and they said, oh, would you like us to buy the one with the, uh, the sucker on the end or with a point on the end? And I <laughs> said, do you like having four grandchildren or, <laughs> or, or not? So actually, they've got more than four. So, so maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe they wanted to knock a few off. I don't, I don't know. But uh, basically, not all of us can be like Janine's husband, Sean, who can fire a bow and arrow and hit bullseye after bullseye. And sometimes it's not uncommon for him to thread the first arrow with the second arrow. They call it feather it, and it splits the arrow. He can do that regularly. However, when more mere mortals like you and I do this, just like if you could fire a miss this time. In an archery game in olden times, when the person was firing at the, uh, the target and missed completely, not even hitting the target, the umpire would shout out, sin, sin, you missed the mark. That's what, that's what it means, you missed the target. Well done, just like, I think you can, you can have that. Don't shoot anyone, please. That's, it was a simple everyday at the time uh, word that was used. You completely missed the mark. And the Bible took that word and used it to describe how we, as human beings, regularly and actually by our very nature, Ephesians 2 makes clear, miss the mark of what God expects of you and what God expects of me. It's actually part of our conscious and unconscious rebellion against our creator. It causes us to come under his righteous judgment against us for the things that we do that against him, the things that we do against our fellow man whom he loves, and also the things that we do that uh, destroy this creation as well, that he has put us in charge of to look after. In our Western world that has largely 
rejected Christianity as its guiding ideology and religion for our morality system, adopting a humanistic atheism instead. It's easy for us to see and look at the world around and see, uh, oh yes, things seem to be getting worse, morally speaking. However, they weren't, it's still not as bad as it was in Paul's day when he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, as you can see up there. Obviously, that's not Corinth, that's Helsham with a few, you know, Greek uh, uh, statues uh, in there as well. But the city of Corinth was known in the ancient world as a perverted place. Gordon Fee, in in his book on, on Corinthians, he says... All this evidence together suggests that Paul's Corinth was at once the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. Charles Hodge, in his book, says, Of all the cities in the ancient world, it was most notorious for licentiousness, for immoral, particularly sexual behavior. To act like a Corinthian was actually a known expression a little bit like, don't shoot me for this, the controversial Oxford de- definition of an Essex girl. It's a little bit like that. To be a, act like a Corinthian basically meant to be drunk and sexually promiscuous. If you look at the map, if we go on to the next slide, Amanda, um, then you will see that in a day when people could only walk or sail, that Corinth was in a really strategic, important position. It joined North Greece with South Greece on this little stretch. It was only four miles across. Corinth was not only strategic for overland travel. However, to go round the south of Greece by boat was a perilous journey. So many people, when they were sailing, would park up in Corinth port one side, ferry their goods across overland, the little four-mile stretch, to the other side, and then another boat would take it the other side, off to Rome or over to Palestine or something like that. So it was a really strategic place. It was destroyed by the Romans in AD, uh, BC, sorry, 146 uh, BC, uh, but because of its strategic importance, Julius Caesar actually rebuilt it in 46 to 44 BC, and it became the capital of that Roman province there. So it's a really significant city, and it was a thriving metropolis by the time the Apostle Paul arrived in what David Pryor uh, would say was about 51 to 50, uh, AD 50 to 51 um, time. And uh, he was there when he arrived. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he arrived with much weakness and in fear. He wasn't feeling you know, big and strong. He came in fear and trembling. But God appeared to him. The Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I just felt actually, even as I was putting that down, that what was said there, for some of you in your workplace, you just need to hear that. God saying, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. 
Do not be silent, for I have many in your workplace that are my people. So Paul stayed there and he preached there for 18 months before moving on. Paul then writes them a, a letter that's most likely lost, because in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, oh, oh, my previous letter that he wrote you, well, we have no record of a, that, that previous letter. Uh, then people from Chloe's house, who were based in uh, Corinth, came and saw him and said, oh, look, we've got these issues, and can you answer these questions? So he wrote 1 Corinthians to them in response to the situation and the questions, probably in about A.D. 53 to 54. The situation then grows worse in Corinth, and so Paul goes and makes a visit. It's not recorded in the Bible. However, in 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm going to make my third visit to you. Well, he can only make a third visit if he's made a second visit. So he obviously went and saw them at some time. That didn't go very well, which resulted in him writing a severe letter to the Corinthians. Again, this letter's most likely lost. We, we don't have it. Although some scholars think that it actually was tagged onto the end of 2 Corinthians. So it's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 to uh, 13, they say, was a severe letter. But we'll look at that more later. Um, then Paul hears good news from Titus. And he writes 2 Corinthians. So that's like the order of how the, the letters came about practically. But these letters, they show Paul's practical advice to Christians on how to live a holy life in a sin-filled society. A book that you may want to read, if you want to read a book alongside the Bible, I'd recommend is this one. It's um, Tom Wright's uh, Paul for Everyone on 1 Corinthians. He writes it in a way that's very easy to understand, and uh, he just brings out a few simple points from each passage. It's, uh, it's worth reading. So, without any further ado, let's uh, dive into the book of Corinthians, Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm just going to read the first three verses to you and then make three very quick points. It says this, should appear on the screen as well behind me. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the three things I just want to bring to you very briefly is that you have been called with purpose, that you have been set apart for Jesus, and that you have been graced to belong. So firstly, called with purpose. I'm going to show you some pictures up here and I want you to shout out in the room what, what these people have been called to do and at home you can join in as well. Okay, so first, what do you think these people have been called to do? Oh, Sam whispered army. You can, you can shout out, you're allowed to, you know, speak. Okay. 
army. Yes, and if Dave Garrett was here, he'd be saying, Royal Marines, Royal Marines, because they're Green Berets. But yes, called to the army, we'll do their soldiers. The next one. Nurses, yes, yes. Next one. Judges, yes, judges. Okay, the final one, maybe slightly more tricky. Football, foot. Yeah, football. Arguably, maybe it's Brighton, isn't it? So is it football, is it not? Oh, I don't know. It's not the same without Paul Endersby here to, to wind up, is it, really, over that? That's what these guys have been called to do in the picture. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul had been called by God to be an apostle. Apostle just means he's a sent one. He's an official messenger, if you like, sent with the authority and uh, and under the authority of the sender. To be an apostle of Christ means that you point people to Jesus, that you come and you uh, help plant churches, that you lay correct theological foundations in churches so that people will produce holy, healthy lives for Jesus. They also have the job an apostle of bringing correction and discipline to churches, not for day-to-day matters in that sense, but where they are in theological error, so it's producing warped sort of versions of, of Christianity. And finally, apostles help catch the local church up in world evangelization, in world mission. So that's what Paul had been called by God. Paul knew that his calling was not something he had chosen. It was by the will of God. That will that Ephesians 1 verse 11 tells us, that according to the purpose of God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, everything God is in control of and has a plan in. All the big global things, right the way down to where nations exist and where you live. It tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact, the exact places where they should live. God, for this season, has called you to live here in Helsham or the surrounding area. He has a purpose for your life. Yes, it's to be a witness for Jesus. Yes, it's to serve Christ. These are true for all of us, but he has specific things for you to do. Your life, when you gave it to Christ, has eternal significance. And by that, I don't mean that, you know, in 100 years' time, people will look back and say, oh, do you remember so-and-so? You're going to be famous in that sense. No, no. To have Eternal significance means that your life pleases the eternal one. It's eternally significant from his perspective because you bring him pleasure by what you do and you get involved in what he has called you to. In this time, many of you may be called to be 
a soldier, a nurse, a judge, a teacher. You know, there's normal things. A student, he may also be calling you alongside that to be a life group leader, a kids worker, a youth worker. But God has specific things he has called you to do. Good works that he wants you specifically. Not the person next to you. He has other things for them. He wants you to walk in. So please be seeking him. Thank God, what things do you want me to be doing? If you don't know already. And if you don't know, don't get worried. Have I missed what God wants me to do? Am I, am I not walking in what God wants me to do? The one who gave you ears to hear and a mouth to speak can make it clear to you what he has called you to do at the right time, as long as you just have a soft heart before him and you're open to him speaking to you. Some of you need to hear that today, that you're not going to miss what God's got for you if you have a soft heart before him. Some of you need to stop telling God what you think your calling should be and actually get on with what he has given you to do. Submit to him to what he's given you to do in this season. Ah, I, I want to I, I wanna lead worship. I want to be a worship leader. That would be a terrible thing if, uh, <laughs> if that was me speaking. You would, would, wouldn't bless anyone. But, you, uh, you, you know, um, okay, well, just get on with worshipping God where you are now in what he has given you to do with a holy life. I want to I go on the mission field. Jesus says, yes, look, the fields in Helsham, they're white unto harvest. No, no, I don't, I don't mean that. He's already given you what to do. For some of you, he's given you these other desires that you feel, oh yeah, I want to walk in this way. Not because he wants to use you in that way in this season, but so that you can enable others to do that in this season through your prayers and through your generous giving. Do you know there's thousands of unknown, wonderful people who wanted to do stuff for God, but they didn't get to do it for a long time, sometimes for their whole lives. But, they gave, but God gave them a good job. He gave them a normal life, and he gave them grace to richly furnish the work of God so that others could get on with those things that they wish they could, that the next generation could be raised up and do it. And sometimes, actually, if you read people's biographies, even their children went on to do the things that they hoped they would do. Is your desire that you do the thing that you want to do for God or that the thing gets done? It's a big difference in motive there. Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done on the Mount of Olives. You can be just as called to be a postie as you can a pastor. You can be called to be a teacher as a theologian or a midwife as a missionary. And whatever God has called you to do, he has much fruitful ministry for you to do in that season. And actually, if you were to go into another role, if you were to force your way into another role, 
it would not bring the same amount of fruit that God has for you. The Apostle Paul knew his calling on his life. It was very clear for him. For many of us, it's not. There's just different seasons that God moves us into different things that he has for us. But my friends, in this time that you're in, God will definitely be wanting you to be serving his kingdom, to be witnessing for Jesus, to be working or studying hard so that you can provide for yourself and invest in the kingdom of God. And there's definitely a call on your life to holy living. So that leads me to my second point. Set apart for holy living or set apart for Jesus. Verse 2 says this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their lords and ours. I know Paul there when he says every place, he's talking about you know, all the places around the, the known world at that time where church has been planted. But it has special significance for us here, doesn't it? That, you know, we're, we're here in the building, but there's many of us who are, who are there in your house, in your place at the moment, calling upon the name of the Lord. He says, the church of God in Corinth, probably having a little reminder to the Corinthians who had formed factions, as we'll see later, to say, actually, it's not your church, it's God's church. The church belongs to God, nobody else. Morris notes in his book on uh, Corinthians, he notes that even using the word church, Paul is being deliberate in his usage of it, because in the Septuagint, which, uh, Septuagint, which is the um, Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, that word is used to describe the people of Israel. Thus, he's making it clear that in the New Testament, the, the church, the people, both Jew and Gentile, who are called into Jesus, make up the people of God. He, even using the word saint as well uh, would imply that. Through coming to Jesus, we are sanctified. We are called to be saints, as Christ has called us to holiness. Sanctified, saints, they both come from the same Greek word, which means to be made holy or to be a holy one. Ooh, volume suddenly changed there. I better, better stay here, otherwise uh, it, will, uh, it will suddenly change. Holy just literally means to be set apart for God. You're going on doing your own thing, and then suddenly you're set apart for another task. You're set apart to live for Jesus. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, your sins, your faults, your mistakes were placed on him on the cross. And his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness were given to you before God. So you become a saint before God, a holy one, because of Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside of you when you surrender your life to Jesus, that same spirit that raised him from the dead, he helps you to live 
for him. He helps you to live a life that is set apart for God. My friends, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord and Savior this morning, can I encourage you just to pray this prayer along with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong and help me to live the rest of my life for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, please uh, uh, come and contact the office. We'd love to uh, uh, speak to you more about uh, what you've just decided to do. But my friends, if you've already made Jesus your Lord, you need to see your life as set apart for him. It no longer belongs to you. It belongs to Jesus. His way, whilst harder, it's a narrow path. It's the well, he, Jesus says that, you know, the world will hate you because you no longer belong to it. You belong to me. His ways are better, more satisfying, and eternally fruitful. Charles Hodge, Hodge notes, um, a book I recommended earlier, that the letter to the Corinthians, above all else, reveals how Paul, how Paul in his life, had unwearied activity and wonderful endurance as he went about living for God. His life was set apart for God. My friends, it takes great endurance and perseverance to be set apart for Jesus day by day. That's why we need to go to him daily to receive power from the Holy Spirit to live for him, and also to put to death our sinful nature. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 about us, how we, how we are now. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, in the Old Testament, uh, at the time of Jesus, they had to go to that temple, that one Place And the priests are the only ones who could go in it, and the high priest into the Holy of Holies where God was just once a year. And yet we, under the new covenant, are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you. We have that privilege because of Jesus, whom you have from God. You are not your own, Paul says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. See yourself as set apart for God. And finally, we have been given grace to belong in the family of God. We've been graced to belong. Verse 3 says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, Jesus Christ, Paul is so excited by what Jesus has done for us. In the first 10 verses of this letter. He mentions Jesus Christ 10 times. Paul follows a standard way of writing a letter, actually, as he writes this, as they did back then. You say who it's from, Paul, who it's to, the Corinthians, and then you give some sort of open, opening greeting, which he thoroughly makes Christian by saying grace and peace. Grace, God's free favor towards you, free gift towards you, and peace, not just the absence of trouble, but the Jewish 
concept of shalom, health, happiness, well-being. And this is from God, who we don't just relate to as the Almighty, although he is the Almighty. We relate to him as our Father. It's family language. We've been graced to be brought in to the family of God. And Jesus, who is the Lord of all, is the King, is also referred to as our big brother, our elder brother in this. It's family language. We're in God's family. He's not just going to suddenly kick us out when we mess up. Hallelujah. The Corinthians did mess up many, many times, and so were we. But it's not our works that keep us in the family of God. It's the finished work of Christ that means that we are in it and we're safe in it. Uh, Calvin notes in his commentary on this, he says, uh, it may seem extraordinary thing that he should give the name Church of God to a company of people in which so many faults prevailed. And my friends, that should give you and I hope, shouldn't it? Who, although we've been called to be holy, and in Christ Jesus we have been made holy, this side of eternity, if you're honest, you know that you regularly make mistakes. You regularly mess up in your thinking, in your speaking, and even in your actions as well. There is grace for us to belong. And there is grace and fresh grace for us to receive forgiveness each day as we confess our sins to him. So in closing... God has a calling on your life that he has set you apart for and graced you to do all that he has called you to. Enough grace even to cover the mistakes that you will make along the way. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Father, thank you that we come to you as our Heavenly Father, thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die, Lord. And thank you that Jesus' finished work on the cross means that we are secure, that we are holy, that we do have a calling, that we can live a life of eternal significance, Lord God, because actually, Lord, you have things for us to do. Yes, we'll make mistakes, Lord, but thank you that you are there to hold our hand. You are there to help us. You are there to um, pick us up when we fall, Lord God. And Lord, thank you that you will be with us each step of the way. And Lord, we just thank you for the privilege that you who could do everything by yourself actually want to involve us and give us the privilege of playing our part in your eternal plan here on this earth. And Lord, I just pray for each person watching, each person uh, listening, Lord God. Father, would you speak to them about what you have for them to be doing in this season, Lord God? Their life isn't insignificant. It isn't unimportant, Lord God. Actually, you have things for them to be doing, Lord God. And Lord, actually, the greatest thing that any of us can do is live a life that pleases you, that brings joy to you. And so, Lord, I just thank you 
Lord God, for the privilege of being caught up in your plans. I pray you'd fill each one of us with your spirit, that you'd be on us, that you would bless us, Lord God, and you would be with us this week, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.